Chapter 14, Second Comforter Experiences of Newell Knight and Stephen the Martyr. But he, being filled of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Acts seven fifty-five through 56 As a direct descendant of Newell Knight, I feel a great bond with him, as well as with many of my other pioneer ancestors. One of the highest and greatest purposes for personal journal writing is to leave a legacy of great miracles, tender mercies of the Lord, and marvelously answered prayers to one's descendants, to bolster and strengthen their testimonies. More than once I have been moved to tears as I read, reread, and contemplated the role of the, that the Knight family played, not only in supporting the Smith family in many ways, but also being directly involved in the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Their history goes all the way back to September 22, 1827, when the plaints were brought down from the hill Cumorah and hidden in a hollow birch log. Joseph Smith, Jr. went to work full-time for my ancestor, Joseph Knight, Sr., in 1826, working in his mill, orchards, and farm fields. Naturally, the young prophet's pay included room and board at the Knight home. There, Joseph Sr., his wife, Polly, and their children would listen to astounding stories of glorious angelic visitations and the intricate roles of many of the prophets of old, along with the prophet's own personal stories of miracles and the unjust persecution of his youth, as they sat around the fireplace subsequent to their evening meals. Amazingly enough, the entire Knight family felt of his genuineness and believed him. However, even with their growing seedlings of testimony and conviction, they had to wait almost four years to be baptized and received the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, as the dispensation of the fullness of times was bar just barely dawning. Newell was the most deeply converted member of the family. He traveled from Colesville up to the Peter Whitmer Farm in Fayette, New York, not only to attend the April 6, 1830 meeting of the initial organization of the church, but again at the end of May to be baptized a member, the first in the Knight family to officially join the Church of Christ. David Whitmer baptized Newell Knight on the eastern shore of Seneca Lake, which was just a couple of miles west of the Whitmer Farm. Newell became the 27th member of the fledgling church. After his baptism, Newell remained in Fayette with his dearest friends, the Smith family, long enough to attend the very first general conference of the church, which was held on June 9, 1830. According to the young prophet, the Holy Ghost was poured out upon us in a miraculous manner. Many of our number prophesied whilst others had the heavens open to their view. Many were so overcome, Joseph Smith said, we had to lay them on beds or other convenient places. It seems that their state of collapse and fatigue was not unlike the Apostle Paul's during the vision on the road to Damascus. Among the completely overcome and incapacitated was Newell Knight, who had to be placed on a bed, being unable to help himself. That's from the Joseph Smith Papers 1, verses 249 and 308. By his own recounting of the situation, Jewel Joseph Smith said of Newell, he could not understand why we should lay him on the bed as he felt so sensibly, uh, felt no sensibility of weakness. Newell felt his heart filled with love, with glory and pleasure unspeakable, and could discern all that was going on in the room when all of a sudden a vision of futurity burst upon him. Joseph then recorded that Newell told him of the experience. He saw heaven opened and beheld the Lord Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high and had it made plain to his understanding that the time would come when he should be admitted into his presence to enjoy his society for forever and ever 
When the spiritually overwhelmed brethren regained their strength, Joseph Smith recounted, They shouted hosannas to God and the Lamb, and rehearsed the glorious things which they had seen and felt whilst in the Spirit. For the young prophet of the new faith, such scenes brought him joy unspeakable, and made the new members feel awe and reverence for the Almighty Being. These manifestations were glorious blessings poured out upon the humble bands of participants. Newell's first vision was his first second comforter experience in mortality. His vision parallels the vision of the Apostle Stephen in almost every aspect. Just prior to being stoned to death, Stephen the martyr testified of the apostasy within Israel, and the heavens were opened up for his own marvelous personal second comforter experience. St Stephen's story is recounted in Acts 7, 55-60. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned stiff Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The following story details what Joseph Smith called the first miracle of the church. In the same month at the first conference in the church in 1830, Joseph Smith Sr. came to Colesville in Brougham County, New York, to visit Newell and the rest of the Knight clan. Once again, Joseph used all of his influence to try to get both Joseph Sr. and his son Newell to, pay out to pray out loud, but they simply could not bring themselves to do it. Even the Lord of hosts himself was after the knights to get them to somehow learn to pray vocally, stating that revelation as dictated in Doctrine and Covenants 23, 6-7. Behold, I manifest unto you, Joseph Knight, by these words, that you must take up your cross in the which... You must pray vocally before the world as well as in secret, and in your family, and among your friends, and in all places. And behold, it is your duty to unite with the true church and give your language to exhortation continually, that you may receive the reward of the laborer. Amen. Eventually, Newell promised Joseph Smith that he would take up his cross and pray vocally, but still neither Joseph Knight nor his son Newell could bring themselves to pray out loud in meetings or in private. However, Newell did slip away into the woods near his cabin in Colesville so that he could approach God on his own terms, with his own faith putting his own courage to the test. After several attempts, prayerful words began to flow out of his mouth for the first time, only to have the powers of darkness overtake him and throw him to the ground and choke him, leaving him asphyxiated and broken in body and mind. Interestingly enough, this event took place exactly one decade after the 14-year-old Joseph Smith Jr. was overcome by Satan in that sacred grove in Manchester, where the shaft of light came down around him to save him just as he thought his life was forfeit. The attack by demonic forces in the woods upon poor Newell was so ferocious that it left him suffering both in body and mind, with his visage and limbs distorted and twisted into every possible shape and appearance. I believe he had to drag himself out of the woods toward home, as his arms and legs were all bent completely out of their normal shape. His wife Sally discovered him first, and he immediately sent her to go bring Joseph Smith to his rescue. The young prophet found him caught up off of the floor of the humble cabin, being tossed about fearfully like a rag doll. After being thrown around for a while, the demonic levitation had Newell's body pressed up against the ceiling of the cabin. Joseph reached upward, grasped Newell by the hand, and while putting him down from the ceiling, cast the devil out of his, out in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. 
The following are the words of the prophet. His situation was soon made known to his neighbors and relatives, and in short time, as many as eight or nine grown persons had got together to witness the awful scene. After he had thus suffered for some time, I succeeded in getting hold of him by the hand, when almost immediately he was able to speak and requested with great earnestness that I should cast the devil out of him, that he knew that he was in him, and he also knew that I could cast him out. I replied, If you know that I can, it shall be done. And almost unconsciously I rebuked the devil and commanded him in the name of Jesus Christ to depart from him. When immediately Noel spoke out and saw that, said that he saw the devil leave him and vanish from his sight. In Joseph's account, many relatives and neighbors witnessed Newell's possession and saw the devil thus cast out of a human being, and the power of God and his Holy Spirit were thus made manifest, and many of them joined the church thereafter. But for Joseph, this episode of casting out a devil from his good friend Newell amazed and humbled him, and was never forgotten afterwards. Again, in the words of Joseph's journal, this was the first miracle that was done in the church, or by any member of it, and it was done not by man nor by the power of man, but it was done by God and by the power of godliness. Therefore let the honor and the praise and the dominion and glory be ascribed to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. That is from the Smith Papers 1, verses 306. There are other examples of praying vocally that has triggered violent, physical, emotional, and spiritual struggling between the invisible forces of good and evil. Latter-day Saint church history documents cases such as the encounters of Sidney Rigdon in 1832, Heber C. Kimball in 1837. Philo Dibble wrote about Sidney Rigdon's encounter, which took place in Kirtland, Ohio. Sidney Paul preached a false doctrine while Joseph Smith was away, and when Joseph returned, he pronounced that the devil would handle Brother Rigdon as one man handles another. About three weeks later, Rigdon was lying on his bed. An unforeseen power lifted him from the bed, threw him across the room, and tossed him from one side to the room to the other, said Dibble. Responding to the commotion, his family found him going from one side of the room to the other in a violent manner. For five or six weeks, he suffered ill effects from this encounter. Um, this is, the reference is Dibble, Philo Dibble's narrative, 79 through 80, Van Wagner, Signe Rigdon, 126 through 27. The apostle Heber C. Kimball was attacked by evil spirits while laboring as a missionary in England. On July 30, 1837, during the morning of the very first scheduled baptisms in England, satanic legions attacked him and his two companions. Like armies, the devils rushed at them. So great was their physical force that they knocked Elder Kimball to the floor. That is, History of the Church 2, verse 503. We should be earnestly seeking to have a series of personal comfort experiences while yet in the flesh, as is stated in John fourteen twenty one through 23 He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. During the days of the School of the Prophets in Kirtland, Ohio, Joseph Smith gave a series of talks known as the Lectures on Faith. The main thesis of these lectures was centered on the vital importance of individually progressing in spirituality, to know God even while yet in mortality. After any portion of the human family are made acquainted with the important fact that there is a God who has created and does uphold all things, the extent of their knowledge respecting his character and glory will depend upon their diligence and faithfulness in seeking after him, until, like Enoch, the brother of Jared and Moses, they shall obtain a faith in God and power with him to behold him face to face. That is, Lectures on Faith, number 2, 
uh, page 23 in the Lundwall version.